to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Adam, we've done it. What have we done this time? What we have done as of this recording is make an episode of The Greatest Generation for every day of the year. This is our 365th mainline Greatest Generation episode. So finally, the people that would like to start their year with Season 1 episode of TNG and listen to a new episode of The Greatest Generation every day until January 31st can they can finally do it without without looping back <laughs> Would you look at that you got an episode for every day of the year <laughs> Come get an angle on these episodes <laughs> Oh Hugh Hauser's shown up to uh, to celebrate this California gold that we've made <laughs> Yeah how many of these episodes qualify as a California product I wonder Oh I don't know do you want to throw out some dates and I'll tell you what episode of the show you would listen to? Like, what's your favorite holiday? And I'll tell you what episode of The Greatest Generation oh, you get that? to listen to for that. All right. Uh, my birthday is May the 6th. So uh, what's the May the 6th episode if you were to listen to uh, an episode a day for an entire year? Adam, May the 6th is the 127th day of the year. And uh, that, of course, would be the day on which you would listen to Legit Fangoria, uh, (laughs) Season 6, Episode 2 of uh, Next Generation. When the entrepreneur finds another broken-down scout ship, Barclay's clever plan to get over to the ship doesn't go unpunished. I like that my birthday is aligned with a TNG episode. That's fun. That's nice. Where would your birthday line up? Uh, let's see. So my birthday is October the 29th, which is... That's deep in Deep Space Nine territory, I bet, huh? It is, yeah. That's uh, the th- uh, 303rd day of the year. So uh, pretty high up there, I guess. So that would uh, line up with uh, DS9 Season 6, Episode 3. The episode is An Entire Premise Evening. <laughs> <laughs> I like our titles. Yeah. When Jake tries to Max Fisher his way into another extracurricular activity on the station, the other members of the Resistance Club take great umbrage. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, that's just uh, a lot of greatest gen bingo buzzwords in that one. (laughs) Yeah. At at a certain point, our episode descriptions will be totally impenetrable. If somebody (laughs) has never heard the show and is just trying to read... A description yeah. of a recent episode to see if they'd like to give it a try. It's going to be like, I don't know, what the hell? This is like a different yeah. language. <laughs> hey, that's a that's kind of a fun game. If the Friends of DeSoto out there have a, a particularly notable birthday episode, hit the Greatest Trek Twitter feed with that, and maybe we'll share some of the ones that are the most interesting. Yeah, that's a great idea. Any other dates you want to throw out? What's the Pearl Harbor Day episode? Oh, is that a December December 7th, 7th? 1941. Let's see. Well, it will surprise no one to learn that uh, that is uh, 
DS9 Season 7, Episode 16, Tribble Dentata. <laughs> Summary is, when Bashir is headed to a conference on Romulus, the danger to him is coming from inside the Federation. About that. I remember that episode. That episode lines up nicely with the tone of the day. I think. <laughs> I think so. I yeah. think. I think uh, the the remembrance days that you see pre-populated in some of your your internet calendars or on your phone or whatever. Oh yeah. You want to have your episode of Greatest Gen match up with the feeling. <laughs> I think people will be delighted to discover just how much of that we did intentionally ahead of time. You know. Yeah. We knew we were working toward this uh, Marin eventually. So. And here it sits. <laughs> Well, Ben, uh, every day feels like my birthday when we record The Greatest Generation. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe never more so than during a Max Fun Drive. Here we are in the second week, and we have another great episode to bring to the Friends of DeSoto. Yeah, we're recording this before the drive, so uh, we'll, we can only presume that uh, some folks have stepped up and supported the show, and we really, really appreciate it. We promise these pledge breaks will just will be will be over after this week, unless unless people don't. I feel, I feel like if we get no new and upgrading supporters this year, we'll just keep the drive going as long as we need to. <laughs> our listeners and subscribers are strapped to the bed in our surgical ward, and we've walked in wearing each other's faces <laughs> as an encouragement yeah. uh, for them to support the show. Yeah, we've been experimenting with deep fakes over here, uh, but doing them in real life. Let's get into this extremely gross episode, Ben. It's absolutely the grossest episode of Star Trek Voyager we've seen yet. It's season one, episode 13's Faces. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> and uh, it begins with maybe the shortest cold open we've ever received. This is a sub one minute cold open. We've yeah. got uh, we've got what has got to be a BLT in the, in the dark shadows. We can tell because of the the loaf, but she's looking a little different in there. Yeah, the loaf is a little plussed up. Yeah, uh, she's inside what what is being called a genitron machine, uh, a machine I'm only familiar with from the dark web. <laughs> yeah, that does sound like something that a hentai would be written about. You know what? You want to pay in cash for the genitron, say that much. You do not want your credit card information out there for that kind of purchase. No receipts for the genitron. That's what my recommendation is. I don't know much about Howard Stern, but I think I've heard that he sometimes deploys one of those on his show. Oh, yeah. I remember that from uh, the Private Parts movie. Yeah. I just remember Terry Gross asking him about it and it being really uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know about your listeners, but certainly mine, we seem to be pretty jacked up about it. So how does it work? She's one of the greats, you know? She's just willing to go anywhere. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is he is too. And it was like really game recognized game until she was like, but what about the Genitron? <laughs> You can't just bring up the Genitron and expect a Genitron not to be produced during that conversation. <laughs> when we come back from theme, we get a little captain's log, and uh, they've, they've been doing a system survey. It seems like uh, we're just taking our sweet time getting back to the A-Quad. We're, we're stopping to, hey, this is the Avery system. Get a load of this. They've got different kind of labels that you can put into a home desk jet. 
They always seem so useful when you buy them until you realize that you use up half of your labels because they're put in the printer upside down from how they should be. And then you only print out one of them. And then later on, you put in a, a label with half of the labels in. And then it ends up printing on, on the section of the page without any stickers on it. And it wow. like smudges everything all to hell. Wow, for a guy that breathed as heavily as you did when I introduced this premise, you really seem to have an axe to grind with the Avery system. I I started getting into that uh, print-your-own-postage thing Uh in the pandemic, and I got one of those packs of the labels where it's just two labels per page. Right. And I keep fucking it up, man. (laughs) Every single time... I always need to run a sheet of paper that I've written on, like this this right. end of the this, paper up. This You put like an arrow to show yeah. which end went through first. I'm running sacrificial paper through the printer every time I do it, mm-hmm. and I'm still getting it wrong. You know what's uh, a lot more uh, carbon, uh, low carbon <laughs> than that is a fucking roll of stamps. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I should be doing. I should just be over stamping my packages instead of fucking around with these things. Yeah. Anyway, this is an episode of Star Trek that has not watched any other episodes of Star Trek because they, they, they done did it, Ben. They stuck three crew people out on a mission and then left them yeah. and expected to come back like everything was going to be okay. Yeah, it's uh, Lieutenant Paris and Durst. Lieutenant Durst. Hilarious. And BLT. And, uh, and so... We already know that something went wrong on that mission based on the cold open, but Janeway is about to find out. But first we uh, have a little hang in Neelix's galley uh, where he is serving Tuvok some uh, plomeek soup. This is an unnecessary indulgence. It looks great. And the thing about Star Trek is you always get the clear glassware, right? Yeah. Like, can you remember ever... ever seeing a bowl of soup that you couldn't actually see maybe on romulus yeah maybe so they don't want to see that soup (laughs) not appetizing the romulan soup looks like cum so it's best to use an opaque bowl (laughs) yeah eating in front of the chef is hard and tuvok is made to do this in front of a very interested neelix yeah this is fucked up like neelix is one of those people that gives a gift more for himself than for the the recipient and then also like rubs his nipples and and like kinks out on the recipient opening the gift. Yeah. Tuvok, a stoic Vulcan, as Vulcans are, cannot suppress his feelings about this soup. Well, it is rather piquant. This soup does not work on Tuvok. Tuvok is not taken back to Vulcan on a... On a wave of nostalgia. Luckily, Tuvok gets saved by the bridge here. He gets called away mid-meal, which, which in any other circumstance has got to be a real kick to the junk. Uh, <laughs> but he's more than happy to get out of there. And then Neelix fucking hot seats him, yeah. slides right right, it, right behind the table, and takes that soup to the dome. He, he hot seats and he hot soups. He doesn't even like it, does he? No. I mean, what can we infer from his behavior here his, his his expression is not one of a man who thinks the thing he just consumed is delicious i think there is a real lesson to be learned from this scene and i'm being completely sincere when i say this taste <laughs> your food as you cook it and mm-hmm. before you serve it to someone you care about but also if they want it a way that is not the way you want it make it yeah. the way they want it <laughs> 
This is the Burger King promise. Right. We talk about it all the time. We, we, we are both blessed with wives that want the other part of the chicken from the part of the chicken mm-hmm. that we want. So right. I don't, I'm not constantly forcing my wife to eat shit that she doesn't want to eat because that's not, that's not a nice thing to do. Maybe the least considerate part of our lives is the show itself, which, <laughs> which we make for us and no one else. Yeah. It's an accident of history that people like it. <laughs> so Tuvok arrives on the bridge where he learns that they can't get a hold of this away team. And yeah. Tuvok is like, oh, so this is an episode of Star Trek? <laughs> and Kim, by word and demonstration using a visual aid, tells them that the caverns have changed positions. Harry Kim is like, take a look at this copy of Highlights for Kids that I have here. What is different about these two pictures? (laughs) Tuvok is like, ooh, I love this. (laughs) Does this particular issue have goofus and gallant, Mr. Kim? I have never identified with a fictional character more than gallant. They suppose a, a a series of tremors might have moved the caves around, but when you look at the two things side by side, it's clearly like a cave has been mirrored and superimposed facing the other way. Either that or it's Hank Kingsley's rotating cave passage. That's Hank's look around cafe. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great moment of, of Ensign Kim straddling the Genitron. <laughs> And Captain Janeway giving it a swift kick because the idea of going down there is hatched. And Ensign Kim is like... Breadcrumbs. Just apropos of nothing. You ever have a friend that does this? I'm probably this friend to you. Just like... (laughs) They've clearly thought about their side of the conversation a long, long time before they start speaking. And to Mm -hmm. them, what they're saying makes perfect sense. (laughs) But to everyone else, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about, Ensign Kim? And Captain Janeway's what the fuck are you talking about face here is scorching. Yeah, I'm, I was thinking in this scene about how glad I was that they didn't go for another round with Tuvok not knowing the idiom. Right. Cause, yeah, I don't cause, need that anymore. Because Kim backs up and explains what the breadcrumbs thing meant. I like how quickly Janeway has already gotten it. Like, He's like, yeah. I got, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that one little uh, clarification is all she needed. Right. But, uh, but Kim keeps talking and talking in one <laughs> long, <laughs> unbroken <laughs> sentence. I really like the way that they're writing Kim, though. Like he is that, the, that new guy that is really smart and super capable, but just like... He hasn't, like, gotten to know these people as much as he will, and, like, the shorthands just haven't developed yet. There is no Venetian canal for him to jump into after this moment, which is his move (laughs) after doing something uh, embarrassing. They've got a real problem here, and uh, what Chakotay is suggesting is we beam down there uh, with with Ensign Kim's breadcrumbs idea and get a sense of what happened to the away team and see if we can find them. We cut from here back to where BLT is, and she is restrained in a bio bed type situation. 
looks pretty yeah. uncomfortable because all of the things are metal, both the bed and the restraints. It's a bed that is very much built in the tradition of robots that want to steal your medicine. If you're a if you're a Vidian and you already are feeling this this kind of traumatized by by your circumstances, I don't know. Would it hurt to? Uh, Surround yourself with some soft goods, mm-hmm. maybe uh, maybe some padding for those bunks. Yeah, the Vidian uh, production design should be more plush. I think so. I think you're looking for comfort wherever you can find it if you're a Vidian, and, uh, and BLT has not found it in this scene, even though uh, Salon, her captor, is quick to apologize for these circumstances. He introduces himself as the chief surgeon of the Vidian sodality, which is... Pretty major. Pretty classy captor. BLT's like, ooh, really? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Now what's this contraption over here? You can't possibly believe I'm going to cooperate with you. BLT's got to be happy that she's still got her lungs at this point. Like big, deep cleansing breaths here. Got to feel good in the moment. Mm -hmm. But, um... It doesn't take long to realize that she is uh, 100% that Klingon. And yeah. uh, and what is so much fun about Roxanne Dawson's performance here is how much she sounds like other lady Klingons we've known throughout the years. Like, she definitely sounds like she could kick it to Lursa and Bator yeah. uh, in an easy way. She's not quite... There, it's like a little bit more subdued than Larsa and Bator mm-hmm. in this in this scene, and I sort of wondered if she was in a lot of pain or or like I think that she's conveying that she's more Klingon. Yeah, but I wondered if there was another element to it that I I didn't quite understand because I was reading that uh, when Roxanne Dawson got this script, she was like super duper nervous about about doing this because it's like it's a major acting challenge to basically split your character in half and and play both both sides of it you know the easy comparison here is a jonathan frakes playing thomas and will Riker in that episode but i wonder if in a first season of star trek you can't just call up jonathan frakes no way as much as we know about jonathan frakes uh what do we know about him one of the greats so yeah. approachable, someone that you could just sit right down next to and and start a conversation with. Very open. You could talk as to him for hours, right? If you wanted to. Maybe back in the mid nineties, you can't pick up the phone and call him for advice about about an episode yeah. like this. Maybe. So she is Klingoning it up, and what this uh, guy Sulan explains to her is that he's basically beamed the Klingon out of her, like. <laughs> Whenever you have a medical question and the doctor answers with a mirror, I think that's a bad sign. <laughs> yeah, not a uh, not ideal. It's the worst makeover reveal. They like wheel her around. <laughs> he he follows the mirror up with uh, a machine that he like slides over, and it looks like the business end of like a CNC routing table. <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> Her loaf fits together perfectly, though, thanks to that thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The tolerances are really, really fine. Yeah. Very precise. The explanation here is that the Vidians uh, are always on the lookout for a species that might be immune to the phage. And and if they could find one, then maybe they could use whatever provides that immunity to 
develop a uh, some kind of counter serum or something. They basically need a warrior's genome, and uh, he thinks that Belana Torres might have it, but he wanted to like rarify out the warrior part. Despite all the rage, BLT's been given the face. <laughs> so what happened to Paris and Durst? We find out in the next scene where they're perp-walked along with a bunch of other Neelix types mm-hmm. into the bunk bed area of what seems at this point in the episode to be a prison but is revealed later to be kind of a mine situation. Like there's caves that these people are are forced to work in. Yeah, yeah. It's a labor camp, but underground kind of a vibe. Out in the caves, there's no stockade. There's no (laughs) electronic frontier. If they try to go to the surface, they'll die. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Durst doesn't keep his (laughs) his balls in the same place as everyone else. Uh Uh, So, yeah, they they meet uh, this guy that's a Talaxian. He's the last... Last Talaxian standing out of a 23-member crew, uh, crew, and uh, he explains, like, yeah, that you guys are part of the work detail. The Vidians are are uh, very weak because of their immunocompromising situation, and so uh, what we do is is do the mining. And if you start to start of start to succumb to the you know taxing physical situation you're in. They will, they will come harvest your organs, so best stay healthy. Also, these bunks look incredibly uncomfortable without any padding on them. Like, just, I don't yeah. know, I don't know how your body doesn't break down after a couple nights sleeping on these things. I guess it's a lighting choice, because there's, there's, like, sound foam panels on the bottom bunks, but the top bunks don't have that, and I think it's just so that the lighting can, like, go down through the grates. But man, that would be uncomfortable. I mean, I guess Paris as lieutenant gets top bunk, right? Durst is also a lieutenant. How how do they how do they decide who gets the top? I don't know. Paris definitely claims to be the like officer in charge at some point in the episode. Very so true. I don't know. I don't know what he based that on, but uh, I think Durst knows the score being in the A story of an episode right now. We've got to find a way out of this place. Well, and also like. Paris was like, listen, Durst, if you want to come hang out with us in the in the pool bar in Marseille, <laughs> you got to come through me. And if you want to stay on my good side, then I'm in charge for this mission. <laughs> this uh, this Talaxian laughs at Paris and Durst's plans to escape. And he breaks the bad news to Paris about uh, where BLT might be. Yeah. If she's not there, she's definitely having her organs processed. And at this point in the episode, Ben, I was like, if this episode is about whether or not to leave her behind, I wanted that extruded for the longest possible amount of time in this episode. That tension. Oh, yeah. But that is very specifically not where this episode chooses to go. It goes in an interesting place in its own right, but that was the suggestion to me by yeah. this bit of dialogue. We've had so many episodes where it's uh, like one or two crew people missing. And no one's been pushed to that decision. Yeah, it's a, it's almost like comical how many times it's happened, and and it's never like oh well we have to like start grieving Harry Kim or yeah uh, start to prepare yourselves for the idea that Chakotay is never coming back, uh, like that never comes up. <laughs> it's so weird. They really do play in that space of being far from home and separated from your group in that 
deep felt like human beings have that have that tension in them like if you're if you're both far away from home and separated from the safety of the herd yeah like there's something uh, very scary about it and they keep ringing that bell in this first season I understand it from a Janeway standpoint because mm-hmm. she needs her crew to think that she's like a trillion percent behind each and every one of them and is demonstrating that over and over again. But I do kind of feel like they have written too many episodes about that particular aspect of their plight. Her reluctance to use Boise. An emergency buoy. At any point <laughs> on these missions has put people in danger. Yeah. You gotta make it rain, boys. <laughs> Back in the cave, the breadcrumbs plan is in motion. It's Tuvok, Kim, and Chakotay skulking around there, and it doesn't take too long before they they recognize all of the signs of the Vidians. Run hard, Marty! They find a uh, a tricorder that looks like it's been through a trash compactor, <laughs> and Tuvok detects five humanoid life forms. Uh, have touched this thing and so they know that they, they know that there were at least two other kinds of people around <laughs> the um, uh wait until you see what the black light illuminates on this one <laughs> yikes yeah i mean it, this you see how beat up this thing is you're not gonna believe what did that to it <laughs> it's actually a pretty sick order of operations thing it looks like uh the avidian tried to keister this tricorder and then destroyed the evidence when they couldn't make it fit yeah so i mean there's the dun 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 of this moment is that the away team wasn't alone when they were last here and yeah uh it's a pretty scary scary moment because we we feared the vidians at this point yeah they're powerful and Captain Janeway let him off the hook. They are who we thought they were. No, I mean, like, I think that they're such an interesting antagonist because they're not, like, they're motivated by desperation. And it's a desperation that you can really understand. It's like, listen, we're not going to be, like, wantonly evil, but we're not going to compromise on trying to uh, solve this disease problem that we have is basically the Vidian outlook. And that is so generous by you. Because I was just thinking, like how it's still not okay, Ben. I like no, the desperation not. does not does that make this forgivable? I don't think it's forgivable at all. But I also think anybody that has been sick and wanted to like you know find a cure or whatever can probably right. identify with this. Right, and that's like what also is so upsetting about them because like the next scene is uh, is BLT on the slab in excruciating pain and Sulan is like walking around like it's kind of amazing that you're just dealing with all this pain it must be so painful despite all her pain BLT is fighting the phage (laughs) this was the scene that creeped me out about Salon because I definitely (laughs) got the orderly from Terminator 2 vibe from him oh wow damn and I don't know what it was about uh, the actor's performance here, but it's creepy as hell. It is creepy as hell. And it's not just makeup. And I think that's kind of, that's great. Like, that's a high compliment because this actor is not letting the makeup do the work. They're Like, their creepiness is shining yeah. through. And this is probably the scene where they're in the most, like, overt conflict. And I think that the the pain is bringing that out of her. You know, she yeah. is furious with him. 
And like the way he's talking about her is pretty pervy as this kind of like prize that uh, for his collection almost. Yeah. Yeah. There is that vibe too. The, the possessiveness. It's gross. Really, really creeps out the whole band. I will say that if there are Vidians that seem to be cruel for the sake of cruelty, it's the guards in this jail. Yeah. And uh, we meet one of them next uh, as he brings a, a woman in a Starfleet uniform with her hair kind of in front of her face so you can't get a good look at her at first uh, into the uh, the rack next to Tom Paris's and... Uh, he turns over and we just see her kind of in shadow in the background. But uh, I think we recognize this this person. I thought a long, long time about why we could or should or maybe shouldn't call this person human BLT. <laughs> because all I can think about when I say human BLT is some mayonnaise-based orgy. <laughs> but I couldn't think up a, a better name. So well, human BLT she is. I had HBLT and KBLT yeah. in my notes to distinguish. Yeah, Klingon BLT just means double meat, right? <laughs> and uh, KBLT means it's BLT with a lot of up-tempo pop hits. Right, right. Uh, the the most popular top 40 station on Kronos is KBLT. <laughs> <laughs> it is KBLT. <laughs> All Klingon Radio, I am your morning drive DJ, Kern. I don't remember your requests, but keep sending them in. It's more Batleth, less talk, here on KBLT. Traffic on the fours, if I can remember what to do at that time. <laughs> Why do people pay me to do jobs I do not understand? I am unfit for the labor force in my current condition. I am going to check myself into the hospital. In the meantime, the street team is at I-P-A, giving out free bumper stickers to anyone who knows the phrase that pays. I can't remember what it is, or I would remind you right now. Do the two BLTs at this point know their counterparts exist? I don't think they do. I don't think so either. And that's such an interesting tension to have in the episode, like the game that only the viewer knows, but the characters don't. Yeah, I I really like it. And I like that it doesn't feel like the... Malibu Picard episode or like the Thomas Riker episode like there's in Star Trek specifically and television of this era generally the evil twin that is going to be played by the same actor uh, thing I feel like was done a zillion times and this feels like a really different run at that yeah and and this uh and and HBLT is uh not quite what what I expected like she wakes Paris up and he is like shocked to see her and shocked. He's like, what happened to your face? (laughs) (laughs) Paris unfortunately does that thing where, you know, someone shares a trauma with you and then Paris goes right into uh, exchanging trauma currency as a way to find Mm -hmm. uh, something in common with them. Hey, Paris, maybe don't compare uh, a bad haircut to loaf (laughs) in this moment. 
I cried myself to sleep every night for months. I wore a cap to cover the haircuts my father used to make me get. Am I making any sense here? Because HBLT is like, my face feels so weird. And she does that thing like when you get your braces off, she's like licking the front of her teeth. Yeah, she keeps running her tongue over her forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I too had head braces. <laughs> you know what that's like. Yeah, she is the human version of... Bellana Torres with the rough Klingon yeah. edges, edges sanded off. And yeah. she's talking about what it was like growing up and this idea that Klingon part of her made her kind of a problem for people around her. And that only got worse when her human father abandoned her and her mother. And it's a very painful reminiscence. And maybe made most painful by Tom Paris going like, well, you got what you wanted. <laughs> Like, come on, Tom. What the fuck? On this season of This Old House, a special challenge <laughs> as we rehabilitate a home on Kronos, one of the roughest parts of town on Kronos. We've taken this old Victorian right on down to the studs. <laughs> Some of the vinyl siding melted off. <laughs> In this episode, we're going to show you how to reinstate the right texture on the forehead of a home. Back with the away team, uh, they realize they've got some Vidians here. They show up, and uh, they're pretty quick to beam away, which I thought was a great bit of business here. Like, they know the danger these guys present. They know if they get shot with one of these beams, uh, they're going to lose something important. (laughs) So Kim sees this group, and then they emergency beam out. And they make it back to the ship with all their lungs intact. What they had found was like a a rock wall that they suspected was a force field, like the one that they found in the Neelix Lost His Lungs episode. Mm-hmm. There's coffee in that force field. And uh, they like shoot it and see if they can knock it down and uh, have no luck. And so when, they, when they're back on the ship, they're like, well, it seems like the Vidians have more than one thing in common with the Borgs. They've changed up their... Their shield system. They've also selected a Vidian queen, uh, who we'll meet later. <laughs> she comes down from the ceiling. There's just like organs connected <laughs> to her from all over the room. <laughs> She's like an awful wind chime. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think we can all imagine what that sounds mm-hmm. like. Now that the Vidians know we're here, we have to be prepared for the possibility that they'll call in reinforcements. You don't get the sense at any point in this episode that Captain Janeway regrets her decision to let those two Vidian assholes go. And I wish I wish we got a whiff of that at any point. Yeah. But I guess these are just different Vidians, right? Like it's it's not like by letting the originals go it made this moment possible. Yeah, I guess word of the Voyager crew must have, I mean, that news must be traveling across species at this point so but no one connects those dots in this episode yeah in a way yeah uh, we come back to torres on her bio bed and she is starting to uh overpower the shackles that are restraining her wrists like she's yeah. she's starting to feel better after her bout with uh with the phage and she is uh strong enough now that she is actually able to like manipulate the metal in these in these shackles and Sulan is like, holy shit, you're, you're back to square one. You're, you're healthy again. And 
She's uh, trying to kind of ply him with, uh, she's trying to kill him with kindness. Not easy for a Klingon. Despite having phage, B.O.T.'s feeling sexy today. (laughs) She makes this pass at Sulan, which he turns down because the crank is the second thing that goes when you've got the phage. Mm -hmm. But this is a scene that disgusted me. I think I've found something that triggers me on Star Trek in a visceral, gross kind of way, which is gross hands and fingers. Yeah. Because when Sulan withdraws his hand from her, they look like dried chili peppers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They have the smoky, the sweet, the spicy. He wants her to wait. Wait for me. Yeah, he's saying not. I'm not saying never. Just not now. Just not now. <laughs> I I feel gross. You know, it's not about you. It's about me. I want to feel sexy for this. I think if I just go take a good shower, yeah. I may be ready in a little bit. Can you just hold that thought? And he holds like a dried chili pepper to his lips, and then and then <laughs> does one of these. The viewers at home can see what I just did. Very spicy. He assures her that the Vidians once looked good. I would love to see OG Vidians. I want to know what they looked like. That never works. You can't just say that. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you can't love me when I'm looking like this, you don't deserve me at my this. (laughs) If you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my durst? Yes. You did it. You did it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. The Starfleets are having a conversation in their in their jail cell when two guards come in and uh, and they collect Durst. They say uh, it's time for you to make contact with your ship. And Paris is wise. He does not buy that as the as the reason for them taking Durst away. And he says, first contact with your ship doesn't mean first contact with your ship. First contact with your ship means death. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they're going to take him to organ processing and, and Paris really puts up a, puts on a show. He's like, he's like, no, you've like, take me. I'm the, I'm the senior man. Don't take him. And this really freaks out uh, HBLT. She is like curled up yeah. in a ball on her bed and they threaten Paris with a gun and take Durst away and she cannot explain to Paris like why she's so freaked out. This scene reminded me of uh, of Data when he had the emotion chip yeah. switched on and he couldn't turn it off. Like this is a this is an actor you're used to presenting in a kind of way that has now been weakened by her experience in such a way that like she's kind of a liability uh, to Paris and, and Durst. I think it's so interesting that the human part of Torres is the part that is having a harder time with this. Yeah. Back on Voyager, it's a real what do we do now Yeah. kind of moment. Because they don't want to be in the room with a Vidian for a second. Like, they they got out of that cave, like, really fast. They don't want to, like, fuck around down there and try a bunch of things to see if they can figure out a way to, to take down the force field. They don't like, want to fuck around and find out. They just want to fuck around and get out. Yeah. And the McLaughlin group Issue one. they have on the bridge is basically like, let's run a bunch of simulations and see what we can come up with to either kill that force field or beam through it. Because yeah. we have to be extremely careful around these people. This scene is so short 
And nothing really happens here. And I think the reason for it is because you need to establish a passage of time between Durst being taken away and this next scene. Because this next scene, we're back with Sulan. Well, I think the shortness of the scene is... The shortness of the scene is also interesting because of what happens in the next scene. It seems like it doesn't take Sulan a lot of time or effort to do this. Does that make it more or less horrifying? I think it's more horrifying. I think so, like too. They, like, that's, like, one of the scariest things about the Vidians is that they they work really fast. Like, like that, and they got your lungs, man. Is this the grossest thing to happen in a Star Trek episode of television since Conspiracy? Wow. I think it is. I thought perhaps this new face would make you more comfortable with me. Oh my god! I was so shocked by this. Yeah. It was so gross. This is a great reveal. Sulan comes back into the lab and with the face of Lieutenant Durst and they had Brian Markinson play both parts. It's it's a the rare episode where two actors are are playing two parts each. Yeah. And he uh, was playing both Sulan and Durst, and so the the upgraded version of the Vidian loaf for this character is Sulan with Durst face. They took his face off. <laughs> the red Yankees cap, the uh, the puffy coat, and. Uh, Klingon BLTs laying on the bio bed like a chump. Like a chump. (laughs) Like a chump. No. Like a chump. Despite having fade, Sulan has stolen Durst's face. (laughs) I was thinking a lot about uh, the, the challenge to the makeup department here. And if they ever at any point considered not making Brian Markinson Sulan, like, is mm. it easier or harder to turn Brian Markinson into Sulan or to turn a random into Pete Durst? Oh, yeah. You know, like, I think clearly the choice is the answer. Like, it was easier to just fuck up yeah. Durst's head yeah. than try to make a Durst face onto a different actor. But. Really great job by Brian Markinson. Like, Brian Markinson is a featured player on Voyager up until now. And, like, unfortunately, I think all anyone's going to talk about is Roxanne Dawson doing the double duty. But uh, props to Brian Markinson. Really does great work this whole episode. Yeah, but I think this was pretty early in his career, and he's still doing it. Like, he's he's a working actor in Hollywood. He's only playing two characters in one episode. (laughs) He's two offers only. The, uh, <laughs> he did Durst face because he thought it would make him more sexually palatable to KBLT. Ugh. And uh, that's maybe the creepiest aspect of this whole thing. Like the idea that she would be like, oh, you look like a guy who works at my office with a lot of really bad wounds on his face. <laughs> and let me just say this. The carpet does match the face. it's so sick what they should have done is go down there and get Durst and one other guy (laughs) and he he could have been like and I've got everything a Klingon woman needs downstairs you know I'm kind of a uh cafeteria vidian you know what's what's nice about our people is we can just kind of pick and choose I love how they don't overdo Durst face here. Yeah. You get a couple of good looks at him this episode, but they really 
don't overdo it yeah. in a way that is very effective. And uh, she's like busting out of the bio bed and choking up, him up against the wall before uh, they hear some guards coming and she breaks out. I thought she should have taken his face off. Here's a question. If Torres and Durst were established to be closer friends, mm-hmm. do you think they intentionally didn't do that? Because it just would have yeah. it would have felt like too much. Yeah, like if it had been Lieutenant Carey from engineering. Yeah. Is that just what? too traumatic for a mainline Star Trek episode on TV airing at 6 p.m. or whatever? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I think that one thing that this show is doing that's very interesting and for the first time in Star Trek is that like people that die on missions or people that wind up having like big evil turns are established earlier on. Like the red shirts are not like, hey, we're going on a mission in a shuttlecraft? Okay. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's the the first line that the character has and the last <laughs> line that the character has. It's like, I think yeah. it's really cool. That, that character give... says that and then we cut to the exterior. <laughs> I think it's really cool that they're like, um, you know, getting us used to people before they die right. so that it feels like a thing. It's something that modern TV has imprinted on us for yeah. years now, which is which is making us feel something by giving us a thing or a character and then taking it away. And I think modern TV has like maybe swung too far yeah. in the other direction where it's just like all showrunners want to do is make us feel upset because people are dying left and right. right. and. Uh, I'm fucking tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to watch regular old shows where people die once a season. Yeah. I just want to watch regular old shows with my friends. Yeah. So they have a McLaughlin group. Issue two. This time in the uh, in the observation lounge. And what the Voyager crew has come up with is there is a, a remodulation that takes place every time the Vidians do something with this force field they've got and they may be able to punch a transporter through that and uh this is one of those great scenes that like uh well i mean how are we gonna how can we safely send one of our people through the force field uh, and and get them out and chakotay's like i think i have a good idea for that captain <laughs> this is not a crew that has proven itself especially skilled in the ways of the transporter yeah you got to be glad that it's not a Seska operated uh, transporter at this point. I mean, are we are we cool with the annular confinement beam at this point? We trust it. <laughs> we trust that thing, huh? BLT and Seska are nowhere near the <laughs> transporter, and that that alone gives me more confidence. Yeah, don't they we need disguises? Tr- is the is the way the scene ends? Yeah. It's not, uh, they're not like walking out the door and saying, computer, late 20th century Vidian clothing. Right. Right. We basically <laughs> cut directly to Six Bay, where uh, it's a good thing they have a kitchen fully stocked with loaf. Thank you, Neelix. Uh, they've got Chakotay loafed up. And uh, it's, it's very interesting to see, I mean, we've seen characters in... Cardassian loaf and Romulan loaf that we're used to seeing more of their face but this Vidian loaf is like is so thick and Robert Beltran has like a a pretty like he has he's he's got a bit of a dome on him I mean he's got he's got a, a very strong jawline like yeah. like high cheekbones 
This, his head looks huge when <laughs> Remarkable work, Doctor. I read that Robert Beltran hated this experience. Uh, it indeed looks very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. But this is, this is a thing that many actors are reluctant to do. I mean, it, it takes away their instrument. Yeah. I mean, uh, people that listened to The Greatest Discovery last week heard our interview with Mary Wiseman, and she said basically... Any time you see her on screen on Discovery, she's extremely uncomfortable in her costume. Yeah. And but don't but don't feel bad for her because anybody in prosthetics is even more uncomfortable. And uh, I can only imagine. I mean, it sounds nasty as hell. Yeah. Well, I've got to get that platinum, get that robe enlargement. <laughs> a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that Blackboard now. Are you planning a heist? So we cut back to the caves and we see what the workplace is like down there. It's Paris and, and HBLT clocking in for a shift. And HBLT should probably have called in sick before even going to work today. She needs to be uh, basically carried to a spot and then lowered slowly. It's really taken it out of her, the the hard labor. And I mean, like, this is retroactively justified later. And I was like, what the hell are they saying? Like, that humans are just super weak? (laughs) Yeah, I got that (laughs) vibe, too. They're really dunking on the humans this episode. I was taking great umbrage with it. But um, the Talaxian dude, like, brings over one of those sacks of water that's made out of like an animal organ yeah and uh they rehydrate a little bit and um hblt is is like talking about like hey this is kind of what i always wanted but it's made me into something that i'm not i mean did all the water back in the middle ages just taste like stomach (laughs) i know that like for a long time People only drank alcohol because right. water was so dangerous to drink because there was no sanitation. God. And like one of the reasons like they the think dream. the Enlightenment happened was they started to import tea and coffee to Western Europe and suddenly everyone wasn't drunk all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, back in the Middle Ages, everyone was doing another round. Yeah, they were doing like third act another rounding basically for (laughs) 500 years in a row (laughs) oh the dance scenes were so cathartic yeah (laughs) that random Uh, talaxian who gives them the water i was like well you're gonna die and it (laughs) it never happened yeah i was surprised by that maybe he's a lieutenant durst maybe we'll see him again i don't know Oh, I mean, we could see his face around some other time, I bet. (laughs) They've already established that. That is true. Um, She's talking about, uh, you know, like, I... I am, like, completely out of control emotionally. I have... I'm I'm weak, and I also can't, like, deal with just stuff that is happening. I mean, like, obviously, this is traumatic stuff that's happening to us, but it's, like, completely overwhelming my system. Sometimes fear can be a good thing. I'm glad the episode didn't do this, but I couldn't help but wonder in these scenes, because Star Trek has been so bad at this over the years, how much of her difficulty in coping had to do with her being a woman Hmm. versus being a human. Right. Yeah. And how much that was being emphasized or de-emphasized just because of how Star Trek can be. Yeah. But I'm I'm glad that wasn't a part of this story and, and a part of her story. I mean, this scene made me wonder about all of the characters we've ever met that were part one type of alien and part human. Like, mm-hmm. what? Like, if Spock had had the same thing happen to him, I kind of think that you might write it the same way that the 
But you can, you might write it the opposite way, right? Like maybe the Vulcan side would be totally out of control because he he had to attenuate his emotion so much less as yeah, a yeah, yeah. half and half or something. Like I don't know. The the fact that the the Klingon BLT feels like she is a pretty well adjusted Klingon despite the fact that Klingons have a reputation for kind of hot tempers uh-huh. is, is is very interesting that like HBLT is like really losing her self-confidence and and losing her ability to like regulate herself. Yeah. So the guards take HBLT away and we cross cut back to Voyager where they are beaming gross Chakotay down. And the fun tension to this scene is that they won't have known if he's made it like they're, they're sort of beaming him down blind. The only way they're yeah. going to know if the mission is successful is if that shield ever drops. Right. I love that. So they, they uh, beam and, and cross their fingers. That's kind of how they do it on the Voyager, though, huh? <laughs> They've done a lot of that this season. Well, it's in the annular confinement beam's hands now. <laughs> <laughs> if you believe in that sort of thing. Yeah. Back down in the caves, KBLT grabs that Talaxian dude and uh, gets the information that they've uh, sent Tom off in one direction and a human female in another direction. And this is very interesting news to KBLT. But we cut to the barracks where Torres has been left alone and she has access to their computer system. She, She goes up to, like, where the guards hang out and is, like... Leet hacksoring into the computers, like Lex in Jurassic Park. When the Vidians approach, she has to uh, option tab away from what she was looking at. What are you doing? <gasps> Come with us. They're like hauling her back to her bed when KBLT comes in and just beats the absolute shit out of them. And uh, we get the meeting between the two halves of the one character. We get a Tom and Will Riker profile stare. Yeah. And this is much better. This is done much better than yeah. that version. They yeah. learned some things about eyelines. They did. I mean, the the special effects of getting Roxanne Dawson on screen twice in this uh, in this episode are really nicely done. Like, there's one moment where she's like, got her, uh, HBLT's head is lying in the lap of KBLT, and I I couldn't figure out how they did it. Like... It was perfect. You make it easier on yourself by shooting in a location like this versus a well-lit starship, though. Like, I'll give them that. They they really give, gave themselves the best possible chance at success here with the VFX. And and to their credit, did a great job. HBLT faints, and KBLT, like, picks her up like a sack of potatoes and takes her to a remote part of the cave where she builds a campfire and is roasting a piece of chicken breast she found somewhere. HBLT is like, uh, I may be human, but even I know a boneless, skinless chicken breast does not taste good. <laughs> it's barely food. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and uh, But uh, KBLT insists. And, and, you know, like the point is well taken. HBLT is seeming extremely weak at this point. And I thought this scene was great. I mean, if like the diner scene and heat is like what you're... <laughs> I love uh, you, Ben, but don't. <laughs> <laughs> Do not compare this to that. I I think you write this that this episode around this scene, right? Like this is the scene you write toward and write from. If you even try to cook me a boneless, skinless chicken breast, I will not hesitate to take you down. <laughs> you are going down. 
That's the discipline. (laughs) (laughs) We're not so different, you and I. (laughs) You can't do a scene in an episode about this without having that psychoanalysis scene between the two halves of the characters. And you get this here. It's, It's the Hulk interviewing Bruce Banner and Bruce Banner interviewing the Hulk. And, like, the crux of the conflict is that, like... KBLT was like, I was, I was like killing guards so that I could escape. And I find you dicking around on a computer looking at, oh, spreadsheets. Oh, you were working. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just that sometimes I walk in there and I see you and it, and it looks like you're not working and you're like yeah. clicking around. Like I do a lot of typing on a spreadsheet and you seem to do mostly mouse stuff. <laughs> and I just don't know how that works. <laughs> HBLT makes the case that this is an episode of Star Trek, so they're going to have to work together and get past their differences. The Starfleet way can save them, not just KBLT's way or HBLT's way. Uh, we can't punch all the things and escape this thing, but uh, but HBLT found a way to shut down those shields when she was dicking around in the computer, and that's that's the thing they want to do, but she can't do it without without help. She needs the help of a warrior. A warrior's help. KBLT mentions in this scene that, you know, they can't just leave themselves. They got to get Paris out of there. No mention of Durst. And KBLT knows what happened to Durst. I was very interested in seeing how this would be revealed. Yeah. I mean, to my earlier point about the captain needs to prove that she is like 10 million percent behind everybody and will rescue them if they get lost... It doesn't seem like anybody really gives a shit about her. <laughs> Do you think it's an aspect of like KBLT has seen shit like that all the time? Like her tolerance for the disgusting is so much higher. Maybe she doesn't think to prepare HBLT for what she may confront later. Because that confrontation does happen later and there there is a pregnancy in that moment that isn't HBLT vomiting in the corner (laughs) which would have been all right as a reaction i think you're saying that she's not full-term vomit pregnant no i think you got to prepare your counterpart for for what happened to durst we need to talk about durst and that could have happened here (laughs) gross chakotay finds tom paris in the barracks chakotay and almost gets in trouble for talking to a prisoner. You! Why are you talking to that prisoner? But uh, he's like, this guy owes me a bunch of cans of mackerel <laughs> to the other guard. And he's like, oh, fair enough. Carry on. Yeah, he pretty easily wins this challenge with the guard and walks Paris out of there. I thought it was interesting because the other guard was like, I don't recognize you. And Chicote's like, oh, yeah, I just had my face grafted last week. How do Vidian driver's licenses work? Like, what do they look like? The guy that talks to Chakotay is like, God damn it. Like, we we did this policy where you're not supposed to tailgate behind someone using their badge to enter the facility. <laughs> and this keeps happening. Yeah. <laughs> In the lab, uh, HBLT gets to work on this panel. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, with KBLT sort of standing guard. And... Uh, you know, she just can't alt-tab fast enough. <laughs> she ends up tripping the browser security on the website that she's gone to. Yeah. Uh, the, the alarm goes off. 
this is a site that's forbidden in this works in this workspace. Please wait at your desk until security arrives. Genitron.com <laughs> is uh, <laughs> is actually a blocked site in this facility. Yeah. She should have used the Tor browser. Yeah. They wind up in a standoff with Dershtified Sulan and uh, he and KBLT are holding Dershtified Sulan at gunpoint. They get him to drop his weapon. Uh, they they drop the shields and they're uh, just about to beam out of there when Sulan is able to lick a shot at uh, at KBLT. No! <laughs> My interpretation of the scene is that KBLT, KBLT shields Paris, who I think was the intended target of, of the shot. Oh, you might be right. Yeah, uh, she does jump in front of it, but I I couldn't tell. I I think he was just kind of. I mean, like all three of the other people are back there, so it. I guess it could have been any of them, but uh, yeah, he definitely did not want to kill KBLT and is and is horrified. Like the look on his face is like I have failed my people when they when the away team beams out of there. Sulan is a monster, and yet Brian Markinson's performance in this moment made me feel a flash of empathy for him. Yeah, that's fucked absolutely. up. He failed his people. The, the guy's a monster. It, anyone would feel bad if they failed their entire species. Hey, here's a question. Mm. Uh, does Salon keep the Durst face around even after these people escape? I think once it's grafted on, I don't think there's any removing the face, huh? Uh, or is it a Dr. Schweitzer situation <laughs> where every time he looks at the mirror, he's reminded of his one true love, and so yeah. he wants to get rid of it as fast as possible? I think you could go either way there. Yeah. Sulan left to live when the group beams away after the, the force field is lowered. And uh, when they arrive on the on the transporter pad, HBLT is is cradling KBLT in her arms until she shuffles off to Stovacor. Nobody yells, and you sort of wonder: Does a half a warrior get to go to Stovacor? I mean, I would argue that uh, that KBLT is full warrior. We should put a pin in this in this question because it's kind of a, are there two souls, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Is is KBLT uh, a full-fledged entity with all the rights and responsibility thereto pertaining? And if so, like uh, if, for example, you had two souls get merged into one in uh-huh. a transporter accident, would it be going. a needs-of-the-many argument every single time? I mean, in this scene, Janeway is kind of tapping a, for some reason, dustbuster <laughs> she's holding and yeah. it's hard to know what she's thinking in this moment mm-hmm. but uh, RSVP KBLT <laughs> is a thing that if you don't if you haven't ever listened to this show you, you'll never understand we'll never understand <laughs> it's explained in Six Bay by Doc Holloway that uh, the Klingon DNA will need to be reintroduced to Torres over time uh, using gene therapy because that's part of why she's such a mess. Like it's uh, she can't like produce enough proteins and stuff. Like her body doesn't have all the genetic information it needs, and 
She would die otherwise. HBLT needs KBLT. The scene doesn't build any tension at all because you think for a moment there will be a choice involved. Like, will HBLT choose to remain human? No. I mean, that's not in her hands at all because the doc is like, you actually depend on the K to survive and we're going to put it back in. He says, in a few more days, you'll be back to having a Klingon face. <laughs> Perfect. Chicote uh, appears out of the side of the frame, clearly having had an easier transformation back to normal. <laughs> and the... He's like picking a, a big flake of dead skin off his cheek, but uh, he's basically back to one. What I love about the end of this button, Ben, is that it just gives... HBLT the runway to say how she's feeling and they don't stick any dialogue into Chakotay's mouth he Mm -hmm. like a couple of times it looks like he's about to say something and I'm so glad he doesn't he doesn't say shit and that's the end of the episode he's a lot classier than Paris was in this right right did you like the episode Adam you know I'm really easy to get along with I'll never forget Durst Face. I, I just won't. <laughs> and that's all I need to remember from this episode. Yeah. I mean, I, whether or not it was good or bad, it's memorable. And I think that's another important quality. It's super well done. And yeah, like, I feel like if... Uh, like Durst face is it feels like shorthand we will use going forward for grossest like like how how gross is this on a scale of Durst face you know yeah it looked like that face didn't quite fit yeah. on Sulan and so they had to rip it in a couple of places it was rotated a little bit yeah in a way that that was like great great work yeah. by the makeup department here you could see how that could be fucked up and yeah yeah and yep. it was fucked up in all the right ways, this episode. Exactly. Good job by them. I mean, I think that the only like major problem I have with this episode is, is that it feels like these same themes that they keep coming back to in season yeah. one over and over again. And I, I want a little bit more variety. I feel that I'm way, ho- too. I'm hoping that that starts to happen. But uh, like in a vacuum, a super strong episode and a really memorable one, I think. Yeah, I'll never forget that reveal. It's great. <laughs> Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a Drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I just want to use my Shimoda to recognize Brian Markinson here. Going out like a boss. Playing the two parts. Maintaining my interest as a character throughout, even though uh, he's not given a bunch to do in the the run-up to this ep. What a great finale for his character. Just big fun from him, so... Yeah. So I'm going to give it to him. Uh, he's had a great career as a Star Trek actor. Number of bit parts here. Great in every one of them. So yeah, I think this is it for him on the show, though. So I want to send him off with my drunk Shimoda. What about you? I'm not sure if this counts as a daily double, but I'm going to give mine to Sulan. <laughs> Presumably Sulan, as the uh, chief surgeon of the Vidian Sodality, is kind of in charge of this installation or at the very least can kind of call his shots. And what he wants to do is get a nice looking face so that he can 
have sex with KBLT. Right. And he's like, there are two humans back there in the... <laughs> I see where you're going with <laughs> this. This is not a, a dunk on uh, Brian Markham. <laughs> but there are two, two humans back in, uh, in the barracks. And... And they basically like fight Tom Paris off with at the at gunpoint so that they can take Lieutenant Durst. And I don't understand that choice. Salon isn't aware of what qualifies as conventionally attractive. I guess so. I'm not saying Brian Markham isn't uh, isn't an attractive man. I think he I think he looks great, and I think he does great in this. Uh, but uh, but if you're going for conventionally attractive, I think Tom Paris fits that bill a little bit closer. I think anyone would say that's fair. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Well, uh, what is most definitely unfair for us is this never-ending string of episodes. <laughs> We watch and review on The Greatest Generation. Uh, what do you say I take it on over to the game of buttholes, Will of the Prophets, and you take it on over to what the next episode of Star Trek Voyager we're going to watch is? The next episode is Season 1, Episode 14, Jatrell. A painful chapter in Neelix's past is reopened when the science responsible for killing his family beams aboard Voyager. Seems like a bad idea to uh, beam that person aboard Voyager. Is this like Neelix's Dr. Mora kind of a deal? I guess we're due for a Neelix A story again. (laughs) So it would seem, Adam. uh, How are we going to be doing that Neelix A story? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Ben, we are currently on square three at the bottom of the game of buttholes. Yeah. And uh, nothing, nothing but smooth square sailing ahead. Six squares of regular episode. That is a rare span on the board. There's not that many spans of, of squares that have no hazards on them. I, I love this. I say swing away, man. Ben, I've rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which means we've landed on square five, and as I said before, it's a regular old episode for us. Okay. Uh, those I love the it. The regular episodes are the best ones, though, right? I think no. a lot of people would say that. They're wrong. I think I'd say that. I'm an nth degree man. Oh, of course <laughs> you I are. Until I die. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, wow. Well, uh, I'm really looking forward to that episode. Gotta thank all of the friends of DeSoto who support the show at maximumfun.org slash join. Uh, of course, this is the best time of year to do it, and uh, we appreciate everyone that does. Uh, but there are also lots of ways to uh, support the show that don't cost any money, and if you're in a tight spot, uh, that is totally understood given uh, what is going on in the world. And uh, if you'd like to support the show in uh, ways that don't cost money, uh, one great way is to uh, leave a really nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you ask a question in your review, we might answer it on an upcoming episode. You can uh, recommend the show to a friend or loved one. And you can uh, follow us on Twitch. And if you've got an Amazon Prime account, you can support us for free on Twitch. Yeah, that's great. I mean, all those ways are, are ones we appreciate very much. They all, they all help this thing go. Yeah. We've got to thank the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who runs our social media accounts, at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. 
Uh, you can use the hashtag GreatestGen to talk about the show on social media, and you can find really lovely communities of the Friends of DeSoto in just about every social space there is online. There's a Discord, drunkshimoto.com. There are lovely groups on Facebook and on Reddit and folks on Twitter, etc., etc., etc. It's a... It is a really nice thing about the internet uh, that the Friends of DeSoto have been able to find each other and build such uh, strong communities out there. I'm sure you'll be hearing this all the time from us uh, during the MaxFun Drive, but just thanks to everyone for their support. We really appreciate it. We love making the show, and uh, we feel fortunate to be able to do it thanks to your support. Yeah. Uh, we also love the support of Adam Ragusia, our buddy who made the music for this show based on the work of Dark Materia, which you uh, can hear right now. Adam Ragusia is now a super famous YouTube chef. Go to uh, Adam Ragusia on YouTube and learn how to cook. Hey, The Greatest Discovery is deserving of your support, too. And uh, that's because it's a really good show. You should give it a listen. Last week's episode, interview with Mary Wiseman. This week's episode, a review of the Futurama episode where they uh, bring back a bunch of Star Trek characters. Both worth your time. Big really, fun. Really, really fun. And uh, with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that uh, revisits a painful chapter in Adam and Ben's childhood when... Some scientists told us that we were going to become Star Trek podcasters as our job. Oh, no. <laughs> we were devastated. <laughs> I mean, any parent's worst fear. Yeah, yeah. Make it so. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.